but my name is Mark, one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome all of you. So glad that you are joining us, whether you're here, next door in venue, watching us online, public access TV. We are just glad that you are part of this worship service today, and I hope that you are doing well. Uh, speaking for myself, uh, I am doing exceptionally well today because starting this coming Friday, I will be beginning a summer sabbatical. So I'm going, yeah, yeah, pretty cool. Thank you, thank you. Uh, not quite sure what that applause means, if you're like either happy for me <laughs> or, yeah, happy that you won't see me till September. But anyway, I'll just choose to interpret that the way I would like to. Uh, we are um, so grateful because this is an incredible benefit and gift that Twin Lakes Church gives to its pastors every seven years, and uh, I, I just got to tell you, we are so grateful for that. What this means is that today I get to say whatever I want. <laughs> you have three months to either forgive me or forget what I said. Uh, but, but kidding aside, I am really going to miss you. I, I mean that with all my heart. I am going to miss you. Most of you. No. <laughs> Still kidding. So it's just a little bit loose here because I'm a short timer here. But uh, we will be, again, we will be missing you. I will be praying for you as well. And I would implore you to pray for us as well. Uh, I don't know what it is about sabbaticals and vacations, but we don't have the greatest, you know, track record in that department. If you've been here for some time, our last sabbatical, my wife fell off a horse, broke her wrist and hip in that little incident. So that put a little damper on the second half of the sabbatical and, and beyond for a little while, her recovery. And then vacations, you've heard me talk about this. One of our vacations, uh, my son Luke broke his nose, uh, due in large part to the help his older brother gave him with his elbow on that one, in the back seat of the car of all places. And, but we were on vacation, so that's how these things go. Uh, another vacation not too long ago, last summer, in fact, my son Jack, somehow he manages to ram about a four-inch long splinter right through his thumb. We were about 20 minutes into that vacation there. And then, I didn't even tell you this, because it kind of gets embarrassing after a while, but we went to the snow this year, and Jack broke his wrist to snowboarding. So, we're lousy parents. So, I covet your prayers. In fact, here, here's a picture of our kids during our last sabbatical seven years ago. They do not look like that today. Uh, my oldest, Jack, there in the middle, he's going to be a senior in the, in the fall, uh, Luke, will be a freshman. They're both at Aptos High. And then my little baby, Anna, uh, that's my consolation. She'll be a seventh grader here in our middle school, so I still got to kind of see her. But it's one of the reasons why this sabbatical is so precious to us, because this will be the last one, you know, if we have another one in seven years, but this will be the last one where we'll all be living under the same roof, you know, presumably, but we all know that... <laughs> Not always the case. Someone came up to me after the first service and said, don't worry about it, man. You're going to see them for a long time. <laughs> so <laughs> that's good. But it's also why the sabbatical is, is extra, extra precious and priceless to us. And you know, you know this, if you're a parent, there's really nothing you can do about the, the warp speed in which our children grow up. It just seems to get, it just increases in terms of how quickly the time goes by. 
So what you, what you do is you pour your energy and your prayers uh, into them growing up well, right? I mean, that's really the desire of, of every parent. And if you're a Christian parent, that means you want your kids to grow up into people who love the Lord with all their heart and love people as well. I mean, that's really the bottom line. And we're going to see that, that heart's desire really running through the passage that we're, we're looking at today. We're in a series called Hope Agent, which is based in the little, the little New Testament book called First Thessalonians. It was written by the Apostle Paul. And uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, you're going to see just his heart unfold in this. We're going to be in chapter 3, which might confuse you if you were with us last week. We were in the middle part of chapter 2. We're jumping all the way into the middle of 3 because of the content, because uh, this being my last weekend for a while, this passage is really about a pastor's heart for the people that he serves, and so I just couldn't resist. We'll circle around in the next coming weeks and backfill the other, the other passages uh, between where we were and where we are today. Uh, before we get too far into it, I want to give credit to a British pastor named Glenn uh, uh, Scribner, excuse me, sorry, Glenn, uh, his, his message on this text was uh, influential to my thinking. And uh, if you don't know a lot about the Apostle Paul, you might not know, he, as far as we know, he was never married, he never had children, but uh, the Thessalonian church, in a way, are like his children. I mean, he loved all of the churches that he planted, but, but they were special to him. They were so special that back in chapter 2, verse 7, he refers to his relation to, relationship to them like a nursing mother caring for her very own children. And then in verse 11, he says, we became like a father to you. So he has this very this, this profound attachment to them. But if you recall, we learned in, in Acts 16, he only gets to stay there for somewhere between three and four weeks. And then because of strong opposition and bona fide threats to his safety, he has to leave Thessalonica. He thinks that he's going to be able to come back soon, but it doesn't happen. And as time marches on, he becomes increasingly worried about their welfare. I mean, they, they're brand new Christians. They're facing persecution and strong opposition. And he, he even confesses at the beginning of, of chapter 3 he, that he, he's afraid that they're going to succumb to temptation and pressure, and they're just going to chuck their faith. So he says, when I could stand it no longer, I sent Timothy, that's his young apprentice, back to Thessalonica to check on the well-being of this brand new little church. And when Timothy comes back with his report, Paul is, I mean, beyond stoked. In fact, he wastes very little time writing this letter in response, and you're really going to see that in the verses that we read today. So again, 1 Thessalonians 3, I'm going to begin reading at verse 6. And I invite you to follow along. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy you have given in the presence of our God 
or we have in the presence of our God because of you. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. This is the word of the Lord. This passage that we just read, it really is about two things, faith and love. Because faith and love are the markers of Christian growth. In fact, in another of Paul's letters, his letter to the Galatians, he's talking about religious ritual and religious tradition and the things that people do to uh, gain God's approval. And then he concludes in chapter 5, verse 6, he says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Not like one of the things that counts. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And, and that might be surprising to you if you've always thought of, of church as a place where you learn about all the things you can't do. Or maybe you have experience uh, where, you know, it was just like all you got from it was this laundry list of all these do's and don'ts. And, and Paul says, wait, time out. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, he doesn't say that it's a free-for-all. He says that we, we obey out of love. We don't obey in order to be loved. And so by faith, when we understand we are loved of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, that will inform how we live our lives, and we won't violate love by how we treat other people or how we live our lives. And so that's what it really boils down to. And so when Timothy returns with this report of the faith and love that he sees in Thessalonica, Paul is just he, he's just beside himself because his spiritual children are growing up. I found a great summary of this passage. It wasn't intended by Martin Luther to summarize this particular passage, but he's really countering the same type of critique that if, if we're living under the, the, the grace of God, then it's just going to be a free-for-all in terms of, of how we live our lives. And he says quite the contrary when he says, by faith, we live above ourselves in Christ. In other words, we don't live by our base instincts. We live above ourselves. And through love, we live below ourselves in our neighbor. In other words, we're willing to, to stoop on behalf of others in order to love them with the love that Christ gives us. Now, I'm sure you've been around the block a few times. This is not how human beings typically roll in life, right? <laughs> Faith and love? No, to the, the contrary. The, our, our innate disposition is to, is to be somewhat uh, curled in on, on ourselves. In other words, we, we innately kind of just want to uh, curl in all the things that we want, the things that we need. Our perspective is about, you know, uh, myself, me, mine. And yet, when we hear the voice of Jesus calling us, he, he calls us to a completely different kind of life. We, we live above 
kind of our natural ways. And, and that's why we begin with faith. It's not accidental that Paul says faith and love in that order, because it is through faith that, that we, we receive uh, not only God's love, but his, his spirit that resides in us and gives us the power and the desire to then love others. Now, I want to say a word about faith, because in our culture, faith has a lot of funny notions surrounding it. Uh, for instance, some people think that if you have faith, it means you're willing to believe things that other people just find too incredible, like, like too far-fetched. You, we're just, I guess, a little bit more gullible than the average person, and so that's why you have faith. Some people, that's what they think. Other people think that faith is the equivalent of some sort of like, you know, emotional, magical attitude that just kind of surrounds you and nothing really ever bothers you because you're just living in this cloud of, of faith all the time. And yet you see Jesus at times being very distressed. You're going to see Paul, he's, in his words there, he's going to, he's going to talk about how, how concerned he was. And so faith can't really mean that. Or sometimes you'll hear people say this, and they're really kind of drawing on those two notions. They'll say, well, I just wish I had your faith, right? You know, you might be able to buy it, but I, I, I don't. But I wish I did have your faith. Maybe life would be easier for me. Pastors get this all the time. Oh, pastor, if I only had your faith. As if pastors have some sort of, you know, gene in them that predisposes them to faith. I understand what, what people are saying in that, but it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Not if you understand that faith is equivalent to trust, in particular trusting Jesus and who he is and what his word says to us. I'll put it this way. Uh, I mentioned the little vacation sabbatical uh, mishaps that we've had over the years. Uh, series of broken bones. And because of that, there has been a particular doctor in this church, an orthopedic doctor, I'll call him Tom, uh, who has been incredibly helpful to us. In fact, uh, one time, a couple years ago, Anna broke a little bone in her leg. I didn't mention that because it didn't happen on vacation. Uh, it actually happened here at school, kind of a freak thing. And two doctors missed the fact that she had a break there. And yet, within 30 seconds of seeing the x-rays, Tom calls me and says, bring Anna back here. Uh, she's got to break her leg, and i got to you know, treat her. And so he's a brilliant doctor, and he has been, again, immense blessing to my accident-prone family. <laughs> and, and so I have a lot of trust in him. And if you were to break a bone, my response would, would be, oh, hey, i got just the guy for you. You need to go see Dr. Tom, and you will be in good hands. Now, would it make any sense if you said, oh, Mark, if only I had your faith, right? You wouldn't do that. In fact, I would say to you, you don't need my faith. <laughs> you just need to know the things about Tom that I know. And if you did, the faith part would kind of take care of itself. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's in part of what Paul's strategy is about. When he says in verse 10, night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. That sounds kind of funny at first. If someone were to say, I can't wait to see you so we can talk about what's lacking in you, you know? I've got a long list of your shortcomings, and boy, I can't wait till we get together. And they're thinking, boy, yeah, we can't wait for that either. But here's what Paul is saying. He says, I want you to know more about Jesus and what it looks like to live your lives in him. Because, you know, here's the thing. 
you know, they, they only had him for a month at most. And so there's certain things that, that they don't even really know yet. And so uh, you'll see in chapter 4, he's going to talk about uh, them living their lives with sexual purity. Uh, he's going to talk about what happens when people you love die. He's going to remind them that the Lord is, is going to return. In other words, the point is, you know, there's not like, you know, I can't wait to get to Thessalonica because we all have that little dial on our back, the faith dial, and I'm just going to crank it up to 10, and then you'll be all okay, right? No, he's saying, look, you're doing good with the information that you have. You're trusting Christ with what you know. Now I want to add what is lacking to that. And when I do, that's going to give you opportunity. It's going to give opportunity for your faith to, to grow and, and, and strengthen. Now, it's not automatic. There's a lot of people who know a lot about the Bible whose faith is, is in a ditch. But as we come to understand and know more about Jesus, we have at least the opportunity to trust Him more as we know Him more. It's, it's kind of like what Renee was talking about in his video devotional this last Friday, when he quoted 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says this, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, now that's kind of a hard verse to wrap your head around, but what, what Paul's getting out there in that passage is that as we, as we focus in on Jesus, as we meditate upon Him, as we have opportunity to peer into His Word and understand more and more about Him, the Holy Spirit uses that to transform our hearts and minds and build our faith. So how do you cooperate with, with, with the Spirit's work in your life? Well, you put yourself in the way of God's Word. That's what you do. In fact, if you're a note-taker, you might want to write that down. Put yourself in the way of God's Word. And, of course, you're all doing that this morning, so God bless you. But you can do that in a number of ways. You can do it as part of a Bible study. You can do it by uh, joining us on the summer uh, reading series that we're going to have. But bottom line, it's like what Paul says in Romans 10 when he says, Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the what? The Word about Christ. And when that Word takes root in our hearts and our minds, that, again, that innate kind of curvature to our spirit, which is, which is inwardly focused, it, it gets called upward, and, and it, we, we begin to unfurl ourselves to Jesus as He calls us to this new life. And when that happens, it's not just a vertical thing that happens between us and the Lord, but then we start to, to, after looking up to Jesus, we, we begin to look out to others in love because His Spirit is influencing our hearts. And, and this is why Paul prays in chapter 3, verse 12, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. Now, let me ask you something. Have you ever wished that you were a more loving person? Thank you. There's an honest guy right there. I do all the time. I desire to be a more loving person. But I want you to notice how Paul prays towards this end when he says, may the Lord make your love increase. Who makes the, our, our love increase? The Lord does. 
He makes it increase and overflow, in fact. We become filled beyond the brim like a glass that can't hold any more. It just starts to, to spill out into the lives of others. And that's exactly what's happened with Paul when Jesus Christ encounters him and, and really starts to transform his life. The love of God not only increases in Paul, but it overflows into the lives of the Thessalonians. As it fills their lives, it overflows into the lives of those around them. So the thing you might, you might say about God's love is that it runs downhill. Love runs downhill. It's kind of like uh, this week we were talking, uh, the pastors were on Thursday, and Jessica Frankel, who's our junior high pastor, last weekend she was on a rafting excursion on the Klamath River, and she's been on that river many, many, many times, but she said this last weekend there was more water in that river than she's ever seen in her entire life, which is a, you know, totally surprising after this last winter. But she said, this is how much water there was. A trip that normally takes two days, we completed in four hours. So I mean, this is like a water slide. It's like, we're done. Paul's essentially praying that in verse 12. He's like, Lord, let it rain. Rain down your love and just let it flow because, man, if there's water upstream, it's just going to flow all the way down. And, you know, the beautiful thing about this kind of love, this love that we receive from God, is that there's no strings attached. And so as we freely receive his love, we can freely give it. It reminds me of how uh, there's kind of a notion that hurting people hurt people. You ever seen this to be true? Not, not always, not absolutely, but often. It's hurting people that lash out and hurt people. Well, the opposite is true in what Paul's talking about here, where loved people love people because it just overflows out of us. And I'm not talking about some kind of fuzzy, you know, Let's all just sing kumbaya together type of love, okay? In fact, uh, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 8, if you were with us last weekend, he says that we loved you so much, we were delighted to share not only the gospel, but our lives as well. And he goes on to talk about, I mean, we toiled, we worked, we endured hardship out of love because, after all, true love is costly. True love involves work. I was just early this morning talking with Paul Barton. Paul and Nelda Barton this week celebrate their 67th wedding anniversary. Wow. Amazing. But, you know, I'm sure it wasn't just all, you know, rainbows and butterflies, you know, for 67 years, as beautiful as their relationship is. And I probably shouldn't tell this story, but it's not their story. This is different. It just kind of reminds me of <laughs> this old story some of you have heard. But it's about a, a couple, another couple. They've been married well over 50 years. And they're laying in bed one night. And the wife says, you know, honey, you never cuddle up to me like you used to. And so with kind of creaking of bones and a deep sigh, he just kind of moves over and he cuddles up next to his wife. She says, you know, honey, you never really rub my back like you used to. <laughs> and so with more creaking of bones, he begins to just kind of rub her back very, very 
gently and tenderly. And she says, you know, honey, you never really nibble on my ear like you used to. <laughs> and with that, he throws off the blanket and he marches out of the room. She says, honey, where are you going? And he goes, to get my teeth. <laughs> That's an old one. But look, you know, we want, you know, we want love to be a, a young, supple, 20-year-old ear to nibble on. But, you know, I'll tell you what true love is. True love is that same ear with a hearing aid in it, and the room smells like Ben Gay. That's true love, okay? That you, you want to know, you want to know when you truly love someone? I'll tell you. Uh-oh, no one's going to be good. It's this. If they're not doing well, you're not doing well. If they're not doing well, you're not doing well. And Paul is so invested in these Thessalonians that his joy is irretrievably bound in their well-being. He's just given himself to them. He's so desperate to know how they're doing. He says in chapter 2, verse 17, we were orphaned by being separated from you. Out of intense longing, we made every effort to see you. And the, the word he uses in the original for intense longing, most often it's used for lust. But Paul's saying, we, we so intensely longed to be with you. We made every effort, uh, 2.19, for what is our hope, our joy, our crown? Is it not you? And then when he hears from Timothy, he just begins to gush in 3, 8, and 9. He says, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? I mean, his heart is just wide open saying, man, now we really live. In other words, now I can breathe again. It's like when you, you fear the worst and then, then you hear uh, good news about someone. You go, okay, now we can go on. Now we feel like we're alive again, knowing that their faith is intact. And he goes, on, what? I can't even thank God enough for you for all the joy we have because of you. In other words, their faith and love is his joy. Now, the world will tell you, and you want to be happy. Well, what you got to do is you got to look out for what? You got to look out for number who? Number one. You ought to be careful about attaching yourself too much to somebody because you might get hurt. You might be bereft. And in an age where there's, you know, so much uh, social mo mobility, in an age where uh, there's so much brokenness, uh, we can think that the means of happiness, just look out for myself, maybe put a coat of Teflon over my heart, and then I can't, I can't be hurt. Paul's example could not be further from that. He says, you want to be full of hope or a joy? You want to be full of happiness? You will experience joy to the measure that you love other people, to the measure that you love God and love others. That is the recipe for joy. 
In fact, the most cheerful, the most joyful person that I've ever had the privilege of knowing was my uh, best friend, Phil. Uh, Phil uh, went on to heaven two years ago today. And Phil was beyond delightful. Uh, we met in, in third grade, and so I, know, I knew him for 43 years. We were best friends. And so I think I can say with some authority what made Phil tick. Phil was incredibly warm and winsome. Smiles and laughter came so easily for Phil. I mean, people loved him because he was just, he was the kind of person that just made you happy to be around. He was incredibly generous. When I was a poor college student, he was working. And so if I, uh, one time I broke my bike in Nicene Marks. He bought the part for me. I didn't have the money. Uh, if I had um, car trouble, he would find ways to, to assist me. Um, Right before I was to go work up at Camp Hammer, uh, Phil had this beautiful guitar that he, he gave me for Christmas so that I would have a guitar to use up at Camp Hammer. He was just so generous. In fact, it's not an exaggeration to say that I felt often most alive when I was with him. You want to know what his secret was? <laughs> Faith and love. That's his legacy. Faith and love. So let me ask you, who has God given you to love? Who has God given you to love? Now, it's natural to think of family, and that's great. If you have children or you have grandchildren, you're blessed in that way. That's God-honoring. That's wise. That's, that's completely appropriate. But I hope that we will not just look there. I hope that you will, in fact, look around you. Look around this room. Because there's hidden treasure in this room right now. In fact, some of your greatest joys may yet to be discovered in the life of someone else in this room, someone else in this church through love, through loving them deeply, hidden treasure that God has put there in front of you. And again, I mention this because, uh, you know, we're not all in the same situation, and you might hear these, these talks about, you know, uh, family and this and that, and you're like, well, I don't have a family. So I want to remind all of us, you know, Jesus didn't have a wife, He didn't have children, yeah, in fact, the only thing he had literally were the, the clothes on his back which went to the soldiers that nailed him to the cross. In it, he has the greatest legacy in the history of the world, and he always will. Why? Faith and love. Faith lived perfect trust and obedience before the Father. Love extended perfectly in those around him. You know, I'd be saying, well, yeah, he's Jesus Christ, you know, <laughs> when... When the eternal Son of God takes on human flesh and He's perfect, well, He's got a bit of an advantage. Well, okay, point taken. But how about the Apostle Paul? Ordinary human just like you and me. Paul doesn't have a wife or kids either. 
Paul has no social status. Paul has no financial estate. He has no political power. In the eyes of the world, the Apostle Paul is a nobody. A nobody. And yet, God uses his life and his inspired writings to impact billions, including us here today. And that's in large part because Paul did not measure success in terms of the Christian faith or in churches by, you know, buildings or budgets or how many bodies showed up. Paul measured the success of every Christian life by two things, faith and love. And so I want to conclude this morning, uh, first of all, by saying, and I speak for all of the pastors on staff when I say this, and I mean this with all the sincerity I have in my heart, you are our joy and our crown. You are our joy and our crown. I mean, we, we see, we have a unique vantage point because, you know, many of us were here once, maybe twice a week. We're here throughout the week. We see what happens within this church body, and it's amazing, the acts of, of generosity and kindness and service and sacrifice that just to play out, and, and it's incredible, and we, don't, we only don't even know the half of it. You, you motivate us. You fuel us. You inspire and bless us because of your faith and love, and we are blessed as pastors by you. In fact, when we go to pastor's conferences, we have to be kind of guarded about what we say in terms of bragging about you because most of the pastors honestly show up there bruised and bloodied because of their experiences in their churches and they swap war stories and we're like, well, I don't really know anything about that. And it's like describing a feast to folks that are starving. You are our joy in our crown. And I also want to say to any of you that are here, and you're, you're just kind of new to faith, or you're coming back, and you go, you know, Mark, I, don't, I like what I'm hearing, but I don't know how to live that out. I've, I've actually tried to be a better person, but my track record is really spotty. Well, that's because you can't do it in your own power. That's the gospel. You can't do it except through Jesus Christ. He will give you the power. He will change your life. And so, not to belabor the point, but if you're asking the question this morning, how do I live this way? It begins when we look up to Jesus in faith, understanding all that He has done for us through His life, death, and resurrection. And as His Spirit indwells us and transforms our heart, we are then able to look out to others in love. He fills us and it overflows into the lives around us. That's the beautiful simplicity of the gospel that's available to all of us who believe. And so I simply want to close praying for you, Twin Lakes Church, praying that our faith and our love would become an ever-increasing reality in this church and in this community. Would you bow your heads as we pray? <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for the destiny, the calling that we have in Christ. And Lord, I thank you for these wonderful, wonderful people I thank you for this church. 
Thank you for the way that it has blessed my life more than I could have ever asked or imagined. And, and not just me, Lord, but countless thousands of lives that have been blessed, that are being blessed, that will be blessed because of the, the acts of faith and love expressed through people in this church. So I just thank you and I praise you for that. And Lord, I pray in, in the words of the Apostle Paul that you would make your love increase and overflow in this congregation, that it, we, would, we would have love for each other and for everyone else. And Lord, strengthen our hearts so that we will be blameless and holy in your presence, Father. When our Lord Jesus comes with all his holiness, of all his holy ones. For I pray this in the name of the author and the finisher of our faith, our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.